Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. my turn on the podcast <laughs> welcome to <laughs> my turn where the waypoint crew talk about movies that are tangentially related and sometimes picked specifically to annoy each other this week we're talking about 2012's prometheus director ridley scott's return to the alien franchise after 30 plus years away from it with me today is rob zachney hello hello patrick klepek you managed to get rob to push away from the mic 10 seconds into the intro which is that's good that's i, I am racing to do, do do things like that whenever i host and i'm just i just kind of you're off to a great start they were bringing <laughs> the you. kind of energy that made me expect a gushers ad to break into the middle of our <laughs> podcast somehow and renata price hello and howdy and hello so Prometheus was a contentious choice when I originally announced it back at the end of. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait! Uh, contentious with contentious. <laughs> well, the way you just said it implies, as a group, <laughs> there was a lot of uncomfortableness. I uh, think what you're saying is something more specific. <laughs> so, Rob, you had a very strong reaction uh, to this to to me picking this movie. Uh, had you, you said you had seen it in theaters correctly, right? Yeah. So I, I had seen it and remember it as being one of the funniest theater experiences of my life because <laughs> midway through I became convinced actually watching it again. I'm not actually sure this is the wrong take on it. This is an extremely funny movie. Like there is so little sympathy. It builds up for most of these characters that like, and then, and then the type of horror you are seeing is so extreme that it just begins to get increasingly cartoonish in terms of what is happening. So there is a, <laughs> the thing I remember is I went to see it in theaters uh, with, with some friends of mine, <laughs> with a friend of mine and his, but not his therapist, but his buddy who is a therapist. Okay. <laughs> and there is <laughs> love to have but, a movie night woo! with the person helping me with my mental health. <laughs> but the thing is the, the part that uh, really sticks out with me, because there's a bunch of people in this who are like, Reverend, like, oh, it's Ridley Scott returning to aliens. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. in my theater who are like, I want to take this deadly seriously. And at a certain point, I could either become overwhelmed with horror or just start laughing. And it's a point where there's like a surge of tube sequence. Mm-hmm. And the my, the my therapist buddy, as this is all unfolding, which is some of the worst, but again, most extreme and kind of weirdly funny body horror shit you can imagine, just starts making these little exclamations. Oh, gosh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, boy. Oh. Ugh. And I just start dying. It's the juxtaposition of his, like, 
completely G like P- G rated like reactions yeah. to the scene. Oh man! And then just the oh, golly! And then just what's un- what's transpiring on the screen, right? And I just lost it. I was just cracking up, and I was just like along for the ride for the rest of that movie. And rewatching, I'm like, I'm not sure that's the wrong reaction to have to this movie. I I am pretty sure that this is this is not this is not a bug in the the conceit of this film. This is in fact the feature. Great. Yeah. Um. Patrick, did you see it in theaters as well? I, I mean, I think everyone of like I am in Rob's age orbit. Right. The alien is a formative experience for so many young people. Like I think for a lot of people, alien is like. Like there are like your first brushes with horror. Like I remember the, the first time being really scared watching a movie was the intro to E.T. The, the intro to E.T. where he is in the woods <laughs> and then there's the jump scare where he screams is fucking horrifying if you are seven or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, well, then also when he's in that ditch and he almost dies, and my mom is wondering, why did we watch this film? E.T. is going to die in this movie. Why would we watch this with my kids? <laughs> um, and so a- like Alien was one of those formative, like, it's the kind of movie that when I originally saw it, uh, you re- you watch movies and then you realize you've watched a movie. You know what I mean? Where, like, you have an experience <laughs> with a film where it's a film, not a movie, like for whatever that arbitrary sort of line that I'm trying to draw is. But you suddenly right. respect it as a craft as opposed to a piece of disposable entertainment right. uh, that your parents are using to get from one hour to the next or because you're being cranky. And Alien is one of those movies that sticks out. In my mind. I can't tell you when I first saw it. I don't have some sort of formative experience with it, but it is one of those movies in my mind that was experience I, I, I my guess is by the best that i can recall is that uh alien was also like a very popular early dvd the alien uh quadrilogy of uh oh, God. uh alien <laughs> one through four was one of the early box sets that was like extremely popular and i remember having having getting that one do you sh- i mean you should watch alien what's the third one the, or the fourth one uh fuck what is that resurrection Resurrection, right. That's the Joss Whedon one. Um, uh, although directed by a French director, he just wrote the, the script. Um, and anyway, that's all, all to say. Does Alien the Xenomorph is... quip? <laughs> no, but, but. Chest Gorn- explodes. We all saw that, right? <laughs> that just happened. It is, it is a movie where Sigourney Weaver arguably has sex with the Xenomorph at the end. Like, I'm pretty sure that I've my recall right. that's what occurs at the end of Alien Resurrection. Yes. Ah. Yes. Pretty, pretty sure she goes to horny town with the alien, or it is heavily implied. Um, <laughs> wait. Hang on. Oh, yeah, Google it. I think it. that's one of the most impressive misunderstandings of, of the thematic <laughs> core of a... Be- Wait, isn't that the one where she recognizes she basically accepts that the that the, the the hybrid is the only child she will ever have in this world now? Ye- yes, and then she throws herself into the pit of lava at at the end as she de- decides that she has to destroy it. Right? I think that's how resurrection. As, I don't I don't know, Google Sigourney Weaver having sex with an alien. Like you can find some <laughs> stuff. I remember that being a big no, talking point. Hey, the hey, internet no. has. Mm. Hey, Ren. How old were you when, in 2012? I was 12 years old. Okay, it's a, cool. Kata, this is a really easy game. Yeah. Uh, it's just take whatever the year is and then mm-hmm. cut off the 2000 part. Um, it's, it's a, oh, it's, it, yeah. 
So 2012, I was I was 12. In 2022, I'm I'm 22. So I assume you didn't see Prometheus in the theaters. I did not see Prometheus <laughs> in theaters. Is this no. the first time remember... you've seen it, or are you? Yes, it is. Okay. I do remember seeing trailers for it. Um, it was a big deal. Do... It was like a big deal, like like original. Son- I mean, yes, it's got connections to all the alien stuff, but like it was being pitched as like Ridley Scott returning to this world, but with a original sci-fi yeah. pitch. So it was a big push by Fox at the time. I remember the trailers. I remember um, the big head, <laughs> probably. I I I have a, the vaguest possible memory of a big head, and I think that at one point in my life, it was playing on a TV in the house of someone who I was hanging out with. Uh, that was Were they my. Cool? Did you like that person? This like, is the we... this is the predator guy who I talked about previously. Okay, uh, so showing great movies, just cinema. Um, <laughs> the the weird the weird predator dude uh, who uh, I remember best for the time that I was at his house and his brother decided to put a hammer through his door mm-hmm. uh, while I was hanging out with him. Oh, um, God. Yeah, just kind of a house full of severe undiagnosed ADHD. This is all to say that my experience with Prometheus was extremely limited. Um, I kind of existed in an odd point in my mind. And I'll be honest, I went in really hoping in my heart of hearts that Rob's acne would be wrong. I went in, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to give this movie such a massive benefit of the doubt i'm gonna go in i'm gonna i'm gonna bring my heart into this fucking into my bedroom where i have my my nice my nice monitor i'm gonna i'm gonna bring my heart in here i'm gonna put on my headphones i'm gonna get ready to really give this movie it give this movie my all Hmm. and uh (laughs) i'd like to make a public apology to one mr rob's happy See, the, the, your Rob, your point of uh, bug not a feature, and then I guess it, then it depends on where you come down on that. I find this movie's deeply mean, cynical, bombastic, extreme nature to be not what I expected going in. I had like really mixed feelings in the theater seeing it the first time. I deeply respected that essentially like the Xenomorph was just a teaser trailer for a sequel and not present. Like I think it's pretty <laughs> bold that this movie while it has lots of ties to like what becomes the, the you know the creature in 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 the film alien uh I, I liked the fact that like hey it's probably only Ridley Scott that get it could get away with doing a film that revisits this and just puts it at the end in like a little five second CGTs for a sequel you might or might not get unfortunately we did get we could have similar opinions about alien covenant for another time <laughs> but uh for me this is a movie that over time I came to better appreciate. Not because like do you want to sit here and poke all the logic holes in it and like I'm I'm with you. It is a movie that I accept warts and all and agree with all of it. And yet find its cynicism, find its its meanness to its characters. I mean the, I think the movie's like sort of like punctuates that alone when you meet the you know, meet a Promethean and just fucking, rip, 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 you know, rip, rips that android a new one and then bashes that old, well, not old man, it's Guy Pearson, old man makeup for reasons that were not really <laughs> unclear to us because uh, that makeup's not really working. It just, just fucking kills him. Um, and, and we can get all that, but I, he looks that's like where fucking, I land Prometheus. He looks like Johnny Knoxville in those fucking jackass sketches. Yes, yes, it, it's a, it, <laughs> It, it, the, the makeup is the makeup for that stuff has come. The prosthetics have come a long way. Yeah, <laughs> since 2012. 
I think that is the, the uh, Patrick, you're hitting on the thing that actually I, I did actively dislike about this movie, which was its unerring cynicism. Just a movie that fucking hates every one of these dumb son of a bitches on screen. Ooh, this movie, ooh, this movie <laughs> hates everyone in it so much. Ooh, it thinks they're all just the biggest fucking doofuses. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, arguably, that's kind of the through line of a lot of r- late Ridley Scott work um, is is that like his his work is incredibly dour. And one through line running through it, I think, is that uh, people who dream of a heaven beyond this world or a deliverance beyond this world make it a hell, make it hell for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's something that like, weirdly enough, I think you can look at Prometheus as falling pretty neatly in line with stuff like kingdom of heaven uh, in, in, in terms of just like Scott's worldview. And I think with Prometheus in particular, there's an added layer of Scott working through some of his contempt for the fact that his career is going to be defined or has been defined uh, by By these these cult franchises. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Two cult franchises. Yeah. Uh, that like nerd culture has latched onto and continue to build build like upon, uh, but often with an undercurrent of like wanting to know more, wanting to explain everything. I think Prometheus is is so pointedly about it's a that, middle it's, it's a like, middle finger to fans you, oh, in you a want lot some of fucking ways. answers. Here's what happens when you go looking for answers. Prometheus is Ridley Scott's end of Evangelion. <laughs> I mean, not you're not you're not entirely incorrect. I think that. When when viewed in that lens, which is the one that I've come both to terms with and to like, I think it also helps me view the movie more favorably. So I'll take the terms that I can that I could get. But I do think it is like a you know it's a rejection of like oh the prequel movie, the origin movie, the right. answers movie. Um, and that is necessarily to say that it succeeds in. Uh, there's lots of things it doesn't succeed in, but I think on that base level, as Ridley Scott looking back on his career on this damn alien. Uh, that he, like people just won't let go. Wasn't one movie enough? He says, "Fine, I'll go back." Like, I, okay, you know what? I've got the I got the blank check. I'll go and do it. And he takes like a really big swing that whiffs in a bunch of different directions. Mm-hmm. But uh, Rob, you would know this better than I. I. You've seen more of uh, Scott's like later work, which I don't know. Is does Kingdom of Heaven? That's pre Prometheus. Oh, God, I can't remember. It's like right around the same time. And also uh, Kingdom of Heaven, not a movie that was uh, liked at the start, but it was the director's cut that was the reappraisal of that film, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, all, seven all years just, earlier. Yeah, yeah. OK, sorry. yeah. So like, I think this is like seen in line with that. I think it's like a really interesting a creator going back to their creation. If you look at other instances of filmmakers going back to career defining franchises or a thing that became a franchise as a result of what they made, what they go back and it is it is usually trying to recapture some of that magic, but just with the sheen of a new digital effects, right? Like look at Spielberg going back to Indiana Jones, <laughs> like essentially scared him off from doing it again. Like it almost never goes well. Um, you can at least respect Lucas for having some interesting ideas about those prequels, even though they didn't work. There is probably similar, there are probably similar through lines in Lucas and the prequels and Scott and what what is being attempted with Prometheus, which is, okay, I know you guys want this, but I don't want to make the thing that you think you want. Um, and I think you can see parallels between these two attempts of revisioning franchises by creators who have contempt for their audience. I don't know how much Scott has like vocalized this. Lucas, it's pretty obvious, but well, I, I uh, mean, Scott is a pretty notoriously like dour kind of guy anyway, just in, in terms of his like overall demeanor. 
Um, but but here's the other thing, though. Also, for all that, he also kind of can't help but make some kind of spectacle. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the guy still has a sense for the dramatic and the powerful in terms of like the visual and the synthesis with just the, you know, with with, with what a musical score can do to Sam. I think that's that's also visible right from the start for a movie that's going to be so much about like the answers are not satisfying. Boy, does he effectively bait the hook right from the start with the sequence that was shot uh, in Iceland as we see again. For completely mysterious reasons, you will go through the entire movie wondering why did this happen? What are we seeing here? It mm-hmm. appears ritualistic as this as this. We don't even fully understand the proportions of the of the being we are seeing standing at this uh, like at the the, the famous waterfall yeah. uh, in in Iceland, uh, watching a ship disappear uh, and drink this like cursed unholy uh broth <laughs> and immediately be like dissolved uh on a genetic level and like become what like just fall into the water and become one with uh you know the the become one with the earth in some ways um it is such a it is such an effective and mysterious and off-putting scene but I think it's it's it, I think it's kind of it kind of gets at some of the the paradoxes of this movie, or or at least not in paradoxes, but the way Scott understands perfectly well how to cr- how drawn we are to mysteries like this, and how, the delight he takes in may in in refusing to un- unravel them for us, in refusing to give us satisfying resolution for it, and that's kind of visible right from the start and i think throughout this movie there's there's a lot of uh tremendous imagery and sense of moment Mm -hmm. uh the characters are not up to it but again i think that's that's pointed yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i think that that opening scene um for me sets a very clear kind of viewpoint about creation right like it is uh to scott and in the view of the rest of this movie inherently violent in some way, like there, there's that line later on from fucking David about how you have to destroy to create, um, and I think he like fully believes that in uh, in a way, like that's um, what I feel like is hap- is like getting set up here by the by seeing the uh, what what they end up naming the engineers uh, seeding life on Earth, right? Is is what's essentially happening there. Um, I think that um, the other thing that uh, runs as a through line through this film is kind of different forms of uh, faith, right? Like, there's all there's obviously the 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 myth that the the movie gets its name of Prometheus, uh, you know, and there's multiple references throughout to. Um, Catholicism and Catholic myth and a lot of parallels that end up being put in here in kind of a twisted way where it's like, wow, you can really tell Ridley Scott does not like uh, certain uh, types of religious uh, uh, thought or not thought, but like like religiosity is the word that is coming to mind. But, you know, this sort of like uh, certain types of belief. I guess. Well, it's but 
but is it necessarily certain types of belief or the expression they find? Because right. the weird thing is, I think he does find a certain grace in uh, in Elizabeth Shaw's faith that that she holds to by the end. But I do think there's a, a degree of a degree of contempt he has for the structures behind it. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, like I'm not like so. Here's here's a question for you. I think he has some sympathy and see some grace in Elizabeth Shaw's character and the way she, the way her belief is expressed. Uh, I am not sure he admires her dad as much as she does in the in in the the memory in the mind palace as she sleeps that uh, David sort of eavesdrops on uh, no. using his little his little dream his little dream viewer. Uh, I, I am not sure he is as sold uh, by the sort of pat uh, like christianity of her father no and then like this not is this, a, not this even, the thing not even a little bit and this is the thing with elizabeth right is that she's still a scientist right so her belief has to exist past a certain level of like well i'm just gonna hand wave it with my religion to like she's you know skeptical enough and curious enough that she her belief has to kind of like be past like what human knowledge currently understands right um, like in a, in a way where that seems to be what the movie's like, okay with it's like this, um, it's about like, and I think this is how a lot of the characters end up getting fucking God is their belief in their own, co- their own confidence, right? Their belief in what they know and what they think they know is usually what gets people in this movie. God. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's why Holloway, everyone fuck one. Everyone fucking hates him. It's so obvious that every other character in this movie cannot stand when Holloway's in a room, which I appreciate very dearly because he seems like an irritating twit. Um, like the way in which he, when they are doing the briefing and Holloway is like, they, they come to Holloway, the people are like, hey, do you have any fucking proof? And Holloway's like, no. <laughs> I, I believe really how I'm, I know I'm right versus Shaw who is I think that that is the that is a good point to a good thing to point out Kato despite the fact that she is standing next to him in that scene her faith leads her to a path of exploration and of like interrogation of like how the world works so she can understand the mechanisms behind what kind of creates the world that she believes in versus Holloway, who is so confident in his belief as to completely blind him uh, to the way it will impact other people and the potential that he could right. be wrong. He, he I sets would, this I would add one thing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I would just add one thing is that Holloway is interesting because it's this like, it's this mix. It's, it's a really strong faith in some ways, but it's very brittle. He has yeah. an answer in mind. He's going out there to see like his his beliefs confirmed, right? And I think that's the like his his turn. The thing that dooms him uh, is that in his sort of entitled fatalism mm-hmm. that attends the like lack of satisfying resolution he finds on this planet. Uh, you know, we we sort of get a real clear picture of a guy who. Uh, feels like what he is seeking is ultimately a reassurance that the universe works exactly the way he thought to begin with. Uh, right. And this is going to be his big, his big statement of proof. I mean, he's such a whiny fucking baby when he realizes <laughs> that the engineers are dead. He, the, it is embarrassing how much of a fucking like he's, he's on another world. <laughs> yeah. And he sees a, like he's in this huge temple with like mysterious, like it's the find of human history. He's like, is this just another tomb? Yeah. And I'm like, 
We got plenty of those back on Earth. Damn it. Get into the sea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like completely unsatisfied with the thing that, right, like you're saying, he put up, he put forth the hypothesis. <laughs> he had a very specific thing that he needed to happen, and it, it could not. Uh, He's such a shithead, doesn't it? It, it? The one thing I think, his performance is so off-putting. Holloway is so perfectly repugnant in yeah. so many ways that I think he does make you question uh, Shaw Elizabeth a, a little bit. Like, what like, is especially she Especially when sex later in the movie. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, come on. Like, other than You can do better. Literally, <laughs> yeah. every yes. single member of this team <laughs> is a better romantic <laughs> option well. than this sack of shit. <laughs> The, the turn he does from a really out of pocket uh, uh, line about uh, the purpose of existence and life as mm-hmm. to create more life uh, to then immediately turn that into we are having sex is just grim, bro. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. Yuck. Get out of here. I feel like wandering onto the thin ice of a woman's insecurity about a lack of ability to conceive and then like solving it with like, you know what? I think some nice sex would cheer us both up. I'm just like, I need to get off this planet. Just everybody. It's time to go. What if, what if I had sex with you that leads to the most traumatic thing that could probably okay, happen? That's so funny. Yeah. That's why it's so hysterically funny. God damn it. It's horrible. It sucks. <laughs> Fuck Holloway. Listen, I'm glad I'm glad he got his face melted. I'm glad he, I'm glad he got his whole shit dead. Fucking burned alive, yeah. Um, the way he just embraces that, like the nihilism, of, like you know, there's there's a moment where yeah. like, he realizes he's completely fucked, and I mean, we as the audience know that when we see a little flicker of whatever comes off his eyeball, God. Um, uh, which isn't really, I, it's unclear exactly. I guess we sort of know at the end, it's essentially like an extermination agent that they are like to cause civilizational collapse. But I don't know why the engineers had to make it so that it turns. Some people into super zombies. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. <laughs> what are like, we doing? <laughs> like if if like you know at the end of the movie, it's like the engineers trying to leave to uh you know go back to Earth and destroy it. Also, side before I have you guys heard the 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 Jesus Christ theory of Prometheus? Nope, this is new to me. I okay, mean, right, this, this is, is an immaculate conception in the fucking movie. What are you talking about? This this is supported. Uh, it is not supported by the movie, except in a timeline sense. But it has been acknowledged by Ridley Scott. So there is an it is alluded to in the movie or said at some point that there was an event 2000 years ago that triggered the engineers wanting to destroy humanity. That lines up neatly with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the theory is that much of Prometheus is actually an exploration of like the what do they call it? Like the the astronaut theory that like, you know, humanity has been, you know, visited a number of times by, uh, by, by, by aliens and is somewhat responsible for advances in at least contact or technology, yada, yada, yada. And that's Prometheus is playing on that, that, that theory of, of, of humanity. And the theory is that Jesus was an engineer and Jesus, the engineer was crucified. And then that's what caused 
the engineers to declare humanity is corrupt. The movie doesn't. It's the movie doesn't really support that, but there is. I've got to find you. I did wonder about the two thousand years thing. Why let that? Why? Why did they like all pack up this base two thousand years ago? Jesus Christ! Let me uh, amazing. I must have missed that line because I. Yeah, it's what it's the when they carbon date the skull. The Remember? skull, uh, right, right, they, right? They do the carbon dating. It's like this is uh, this this has been like shut down for like since like for the last two thousand years. God. Uh, um, so, okay. So yeah. So Scott Scott says in an interview um, when asked explicitly is is what you're the draw the what you're trying to imply is that Jesus was an engineer. He says, "Quote: We definitely did when conceiving the story." And then we thought it was a little too on the nose. Uh, but if you look at <laughs> saying that about a film that is Ridley is it's just a nose. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> um, But if Ridley, you look at Ridley it as a, killed subtlety and then made a movie about its corpse. Uh, but if you look at it as a quote, our children are misbehaving down their scenario. There are moments where it looks like we've gone out of control, running around with armor and skirts, which of course would be the Roman Empire. And they were given a long run. And a thousand years before the disintegration actually started to happen. And you can say, uh, quote, let's send down one of more, one more of our emissaries to see if we can stop it. Guess what? They crucified him. So I think in sense, it, you could read it that way, but it's more just, it seems like they backed off that explicitly. They leave it as something that can be read into the film, but more mm-hmm. just, you know, it's like where you know, Shaw gets at the end. You know, which is like a like the emotion she has in those lines is actually pretty, her performance like is a is a good through line in this film, like in a, a movie that's kind of all over the place on performances. But, you know, when she says, like, well, I, I want to know why we weren't good enough. I want an answer. Um, And like here we see that, yeah, like at some point they decided humanity wasn't worth it or it was just an experiment worth running until they run a new simulation. Right. There is um one of the like, you know, one of the. The, the themes of uh, at least the original Alien and this movie, I feel like, that the, that they share is a kind of overreach by humanity, often usually in the form of a corporation wanting something because it thinks it can get something out of it. Uh, this kind of literalizes that more into the character of, uh, oh, what's his first name? Wayland. Um, Peter. Peter. Peter Wayland. Um, uh, the, Peter. The, David. We got them all here. <laughs> oh, oh, God. God damn, damn it. it. Shut the fuck up. <sighs> um, and uh, th- th- that that scene with the with the skull also reminded me of this. It's, it's like it's both the like overreach of like, you know, uh, wealthy individuals thinking they can control whatever they find. And also the overreach of science thinking it can kind of quote unquote play God by like uh 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 fucking and and fucking around with things in like the when they try to like reanimate the skull essentially, right? Is what I'm trying to get at. This like yeah. science can like fucking move past the 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 natural life and death cycle. Um also the natural death and si- life and death cycle is uh horrific every time we see it in this movie. And um it kind of uh it kind of leaves leaves a question of i feel like this is like a a piece where it's like what is what is really scott trying to try to say here cuz these things feel kind of at odds right it's like either we're like a, like the engineers are interested in creating life in like this technologically advanced way and like that's 
Um, well, I mean, you, you can see a through line through like Scott's work in general, right? Like right. he is deeply like the engineers is an extension of what he's exploring with androids, robots, however you want to characterize right. them in Blade Runner, in this film, in Alien. Um, the engineers are just an extension of like humanity is not unique in, in, in its that hubris. Kind of, right. In um, the kind of idea but, of just like trying to create new new life from Creating life in what form? And, right. and yeah. you know, I mean, there's a line in Prometheus along the lines where there's an exchange with um, with David about, well, why did you, I forget how the exchange, but like, so like why do I look like you? It's like, well, because it makes you more comfortable, um, you know, right. like there's this. Oh, it's like, um, why, why are you, why are you putting on a suit? Right. Because mm-hmm. all the way again, needling him. He cannot stop needling David. Oh, he cannot. He's so fucking annoying. Um, he's just like, why, why are you wearing a suit? And then, yeah, David responds like, well, because to work with you, I was made this way to work with y'all because you're more comfortable if I look like you. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, I think like I, I think one one thing running through this film as well is that I think it sort of sees that any creation story is probably a story of destruction as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this that this that this cycle, uh, you know, has no identifiable identifiable beginning or end, and it is like I, I think like the whatever we want to call those like virus virus bombs or whatever that the uh, like engineers have, like, you know, they, they are, they're both sides of that, of that coin, right? Like on the one hand, they are uh, ecosystem demolishing uh, like tools that just like literally unravel the basic buildings, blocks of life for whatever they encounter. But then also they are enormously dynamic um genetic like recombinators uh that even left to their own devices i think that you know when we see the the shots of the earthworms in the soil and the engineer engineering base just contact between them and any sort of life and they begin generating uh myriad combinations of just like purely like reprodu- reproduction obsessed like life obsessed beings uh, that will in time uh, just continue to like evolve at a at a rapid rate, and so I I think when you look at you know the 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 engineers there they're sort of playing with both sides of this. Uh, you know you can say that they were they were preparing to destroy humanity uh, when their base shut got shut down, but also you know you'd also say they were preparing to at least wipe the the blackboard clean. Uh, yeah. Again, that, you know, in the process of demolishing this this thing they created and unleashed, uh, they were also like in some ways laying the groundwork for something else to take its place. This being the Alien franchise, what takes its place uh, is, you know, enormous, sexually suggestive uh, <laughs> nightmare machines. Yeah. Um, but I, I, but I think that's, that's a huge <laughs> part of this. And I think, you know, it's, it really is these questions about creation are really, you know, embodied and given voice and, and structure through the character of David, uh, who I think. He's the best know, part but, of this movie, far, like far, far and away, like fast Fender's performance, I think is awesome. In the, in I, I feel movie. like the heart of the film is the conversation between him and Holloway. 
Yes. Like mm-hmm. I think the entire film leads up to and then is basically deriving from that exchange they have where Holloway is in his feelings about like he did not he did not meet the God he felt he was entitled to meet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's David getting to talk to his God or at yeah. least one of his gods. And as you know, he, he asks Holloway, you know, well, why did why did your kind create me? And, and Holloway just sort of be like, because <laughs> we could, man. <laughs> and Holloway like and, and he and David just like so put upon just sort of looks blankly across the room and says, can you imagine how disappointing? That must that that yeah. must be to hear from your oh, creator. It's so biting. And always just like you're a robot and can't be disappointed. Yeah. And well, that's that, when David chooses to do what he does. That so that's what I mean. That's, that, yeah. So that was what the question like that I think is part of what makes this movie enjoyable, like on repeat viewings, is I believe I I'm with you, like that around that moment. David gets well, I don't know if you want to call it free will but is making choices and the notion that David cannot experience disappointment or want or desire or actions free or or uh, at least adjacent to their quote unquote programming you start seeing David acting on David's behalf or whatever so David's I, hang on. I think become. he's got free will throughout okay I think this is I think this is the how is what is he going to do with it I think the whole scene is basically him he's having a debate he's mm-hmm. got that little thing on a finger yeah he's thinking about the whole fucking time he's just sitting there waiting to poison that drink the second the second holloway is like actually no it's not the second he gives holloway a lot of chances it feels like to be anything other than the most repugnant version of himself and every time holloway is presented with that opportunity he just is like do we think this happens over the course of the two years like because when he's when he's experiencing the dreams is this something that the movie doesn't get specific on this on this point, but he David spends two years alone <laughs> shooting. Ba- it's one of my favorite scenes of the film, like riding a bike, shooting a basketball, drinking, drinking his robot protein drink, uh, doing the base level language analysis. Watching and then essentially spy- movies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then spy- and then spying on, uh, you know, the crewmates and and the dreams that they're having. I have to imagine my theory anyway is it is over the course of that two years that David goes from a being programmed to a being that that you know has some sort of a free will that they choose to act upon when the when the uh, when they get to their destination. I mean, I also think that like the movie to me seems uninterested in the question of when that happens, like yeah, for it, sure. I, because like. That is like the the conclusion of like to look at like Ridley Scott's previous films. The conclusion of Blade Runner is that they've always been sapient. Like that is like we have always been just making us uh, in like all of the in like most of the emotional depth that carries. And then the trauma we have inflicted upon those people changes them into something that we then fear. Um, And I think that. If you read David as totally sapient and like understanding of his of his place in the world the entire time it is such a grim tragedy uh that like runs through uh runs through the core of this movie and then also like that is the conversation with vickers right when he meets vicker when he talks to vickers they fucking hate each other immediately and that hate is reciprocal uh that is like that is a reciprocated hate is vickers Uh, a robot i don't think it matters but no 
I think I think mm-hmm. she's just his daughter. I think she is just his daughter. Mm-hmm. I think she's just his normal. It's one of the it's one of the on it's one of the running like you know sort of Blade Runner ish uh, theories on this film is 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 Vickers secretly just you know an animatron you know a, a robot version of of that character's daughter. Um, I think you read it either way. I, I'm with you. I think I lean no, um, but uh, it is it, you could read. Certainly, the movie supports that read if you want also, to. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to Peter. Peter doesn't give a fuck if she's a robot or not. Like, that's the other thing. like, he's, he cares so little for any human being that, like, he, he, it doesn't matter. It's not going to register if she's a robot or not because she is a tool either way, one that he will happily use uh, in order to, like, pursue his own continued existence. I would say, so, like, my thinking about why she's, like, why the movie makes more sense if she's, uh, uh, human instead of an android is in part because like so much of this is launched by peter's quest for immortality and if you want to look at it you know if you if you like the one thing that maybe ties this together with with like the question that i think is left unanswered in alien is how did wayland yutani know that there was something on this planet to go looking for in the first place Mm-hmm. um that's kind of that that's that's kind of left mysterious um you know the the film sort of says they they kind of had an inkling all along uh that they were going to find uh you know what they found there but i think here you know where where it sort of latches onto that is you'd see that as like the last expression of this mad king's will uh mm-hmm. that there's something valuable that like my corporation, this embodiment of my will will continue to be searching for long after my death, maybe for reasons it itself doesn't even understand. But so you have the, like the corporation as a sort of form of like, uh, immortal ambition and desire on the part of its magnate creator. And then you have like the more traditional view of like the way that children are a form of immortality uh, that like the family carries on, that the lineage carries on. That in some ways, like in 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 the mind of people like Peter, in some ways, the work can also be carried on uh, by by children. This is kind of this is <laughs> does kind he of, care about any of that though? I feel well, like he, he doesn't. All, but this is the point all those are means to, to an end. Yeah, but yeah. this is the point she tries to make when her last warning, his last chance to to get off the crazy train, is at the end when she says, "Kings have their time and they die." And part of this is she feels like she's not getting her part of the deal for sure, which is it is her time to reign. Uh, and his little mission stands in the way of that. And as she says, she has no interest in spending her life fighting for the scraps uh, with with the corporate board he leaves behind. But like so this is this is her like the deal that she's been promised. It is being frustrated by this by this quest for immortality, because in like in her view, it's sort of meant to be entrusted to her. She is the fulfillment of that. And then there's David, uh, which is like the create the the immortal creation uh, of of Wayland himself. Uh, initially intended as kind of a perpetual, you know, help me a. Um, oh gosh, who's Prospero's uh, helper in? Uh, I can't remember, uh, but. <laughs> Like it is definitely like intended to be a helpmeet forever, but takes on a mind and will of his own and also embodies maybe the most terrifying aspects of immortality. You know, a a being that literally 
is undying, does not sleep, kid does not need to do anything but like think and ponder and plan. Well, and, and then what is purpose, right? Like that's right. The, like that is a lot of this movie is is playing with as well. The reason these characters with the reason, you know, Shaw Holloway are given purpose is and well, and, you know, uh, Peter is is death is why. Um, and from an Android's perspective, like their programming is a why to some to some degree, right? It is like, oh, I'm here to you know make peter's life easier um and as as david's life goes on david is able to break free of that and then start to determine well what is the why for me and and you know shaw looks has religion holloway has uh i don't know like just grasping at answers without necessarily knowing what exactly some sort of catharsis that would bring but it's all questions of why are we here? What are we doing? What do we do during the time that we have um and they all come to sort of like wildly different conclusions on how you spend that time, although it all involves being uh, punched in the face by Jason Voorhees. By the end, <laughs> I, I have a I, question. Sorry, uh, uh, go. I was just gonna say, I think we should take a very quick break for mm-hmm. ads. <laughs> we'll be right back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. What were you going to say, Rob, before we took the break? I had a quick question. We're all familiar with the Peter Whalen TED Talk, right? Yeah, no. I yeah. I am. Yes, no. that very shit was great. Of, yes, it's uh, why they cast Guy Pierce. Like yeah. it's the only reason you do this. Yeah, because you do you do not need him for the part he plays in this movie. But one of the like one of the more fascinating things of its moment uh, is that like this movie comes right on the heels of like peak TED Talk. Yeah. Uh, where everyone's like, man, I love TED Talks. They're so fascinating and uh, iconoclastic and really make you think, man. Uh, so they created a fake like vision of what TED Talks would look like. Uh, I, honestly, I think it's dated from, from next year. It's 2023. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking yeah. at it right now on YouTube. And so they create like <laughs> a vision for what TED Talks would look like in the near future. And it's a giant TED Talk arena and he's surrounded by like drones and everything. And he basically like lays out his plan Uh like his vision and his plan for like what you Wayland Utani uh would would mean for the universe and like all good TED talk very vague and non-specific Gr- grandiose but mm-hmm. like a complete cipher in terms of what it actually like uh it makes you feel to. good but it doesn't it's all yeah. empty calories the and funniest in this, this it's 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 guy pierce at his most megalomaniacal oh he's yeah. so good in this i completely forgot about that that part of this 
I wish but, it was in the film, frankly, somehow. Yeah. It'd be it'd be weird given the time the time difference. It's well, but very David funny. could be watching it. If he, right. if they like had been a the clip from it on on the ship, um, I don't it think been. it's necessarily a bad thing to drop in between the engineer uh, sacrificing himself, and then before the movie starts, <laughs> right. you see you see just a TED talk randomly, and then we move on. But uh, it, it's it is, such a it's such a great touch. Yeah. The, the the weirdest thing about this is they, they thought TED Talks would uh, fill stadiums <laughs> at some point. Like in, this you know, in 2010, it felt when they that were way. thinking this up, yeah. this, that did not seem so far-fetched. <laughs> and I think it might have had they not been so interested in franchising TED. Right. Uh, and doing, like, TED Grand Rapids, Michigan. TEDx. Yeah. TEDx, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, and, and that and the fact that, like, the nature of the TED Talk was it... Uh, lent itself way too much to facile uh charlatans and i think once people sort of grokked that uh sort of the techno utopianism of, of the ted talk itself kind of like unraveled well one of the one of the most famous ted talks is uh jj abrams about the magic box um uh damon lindelof one of the screenwriters on this is a protege comes out of like kind of the the abrams school of storytelling out of they both kind of rose up um, and exploded, uh, especially because of Lost, which is what Lindelof was was on during Prometheus or right after. Um, but Abrams, uh, I guess now infamous TED Talk is about the magic box, which is that, and the short version of it is is that, you know, the mystery is more important than what's inside. And because nothing that's inside can actually be as satisfying as what you think that's inside. And to exemplify this, he has on his desk, and as far as I know, is still on his desk, um, at Bad Robot is a little mystery box that he bought like at a garage sale or a magic shop when he was a kid and he's never opened it because at this point now he's waited decades to wonder what's inside and it's more fun to think about and there that was also a very popular school of storytelling uh along uh when lost comes out abrams is riding high off of that star trek like the magic there was an era of like the magic box that is it is a that is a direct result of like Abrams and that TED Talk and his storytelling success that is existing right in the same uh a period that Prometheus uh is produced and then ends up with one of Abrams uh sort of proteges uh as a screenwriter. I kind of wanted to circle back around to something we were talking about earlier and uh kind of the way people have different uh aims kind of pur- different purposes and I want to just confirm with y'all at the point that you think that David has free will, which is probably the whole movie, but you think ultimately his his goal is to kill Wayland? Is that it, or is he actually interested in meeting like the idea? He of wants to be else? God. He yeah. wants to be God. That's and I, I don't mean to spoil the sequel to this film. Oh, <laughs> okay. But that's that's what like the best part of Alien Covenant. The at the time, a movie I actively loathed, except for Michael. If you want to watch Fastbender, do you want to watch a scene where Fastbender has another android that looks like him? Mm. And they play flutes and they seem to be insinuating they should be giving each other blowjobs. <laughs> and it's the most it's it is has some of the most high wire sexual tension you've ever seen between twin Michael Fastbenders. <laughs> I cannot recommend. Michael Just look up. Fassbenders. Don't have to even watch this film. Look up the flute scene. Right. From Alien Covenant. I it's so delightful. But basically, you, but basically this the, that that movie 
Well, let's get to this. I'll, I'll explain Alien Covenant do, later. Yeah. Do we do we just want to like split? Because I I read the spoiler as to what Alien Covenant's whole deal is. Yes. And I feel like it is relevant for discussing. Sure. It is relevant for discussing Prometheus. Mm, okay. It is. Do you want to do you want to set that up? Yeah. So Alien Covenant uh, and Alien Covenant after the end of this movie, uh, they fucking murk the engineer, uh, and then they're like, "Oh, we're gonna go to the planet that the engineers are from. Let's go." They go there. Uh, they show up. Uh, immediately wipe out all fauna. He kills on Shaw. The let's be let's be clear. Kills <laughs> Shaw just wa- while Shaw is sleeping. Just kills her. Just kills off the character in the same way they kill Ripley from from yeah. Aliens to Alien Three. Just whoop this main character who was the emotional thrust of the original film. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember that whole thing about her? Uh, how the the reason they're doing this is so she could kind of pursue her faith and like actually like commit to a to to some kind of way of finding meaning in the world. <laughs> Fucking idiot! What kind of Death idiot said, would try to Death find said, meaning in the world? Get Covenant does open with the with David going to the the engineering planet and just dropping their toxic bombs on them and fucking civilization ending the engineers which like on paper some of that stuff is like a really interesting idea and then the whole premise of covenant is that right he used uh, i've it's been a while i've seen it but ren correct me i'm wrong like david goes to a planet and then bioengineers what we then come he to bioengineers know as the xenomorph yes the, the, the xenomorph. xenomorph his whole thing is that he wants to make a perfect optimal life form and the yeah. thing he ends up with is the xenomorph which is super cool it's a gr- it's a great idea um in a, and also in a even messier movie arguably but yeah um so yeah that is that is that is david's end goal is to make his own life form and then he does it mm-hmm. uh, in the form of the xenomorph and then because boy does this movie love cycles of creation and destruction uh, the thing that he creates then destroys the thing that created him in the exact same way that him dropping a bomb on the engineers is what happens when the things that he was created by destroys the thing that they. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that line in Prometheus? Right, the uh, all children want to kill their parents, which this right. Shaw has like the best responses, which was, "Well, I didn't." I know. <laughs> Which is really, which God. like that was that was I thought like that was like a compared to the exchanges that Holloway has with David that like cut a lot better. Which is like no, David. I mean, uh, what understandably is that your takeaway from humanity? Fair, fair. <laughs> There's a lot but, of like, stories Sean out there. Being, yeah. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to kill my fucking dad. <laughs> he read Oedipus one too many times. He's like, you can move on from that one. There's other things out there. <laughs> oh, God, it's. Oh yeah, please cut. No, go ahead. <coughs> I mean, that is that is one of the elements of the film's like overwhelming. So, is that like there are moments where the film does acknowledge that it is just filled itself with the worst people it can imagine, and does acknowledge that there are people who are not the worst people it can imagine somewhere in the world. Hopefully, <laughs> someone okay uh, exists. Well, maybe. I mean, if we're if we're saying the film has, if there's heroes in this film. It's the flight crew who don't really do much for the whole film, but like when the <laughs> chips are right. down, like they're just here on a shitty contract. But when the chips are down, and it's like, hey, sorry, this is a bad deal, but you kind of have to save the world right now. But it requires a suicide attack with your spaceship. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, all right, well, I guess this. Is, I guess this we'll quip about road. it. Guess we'll quip about it. Which, like, <laughs> man, I, I wish that this movie had like fifteen more minutes. Of those three guys, yeah. just just yeah. being bros, because I actually think it makes it a stronger movie. 
um, because the only people in, in the only good people in that film get three minutes of runtime, uh, and I think it, it, it's stronger uh, otherwise. Oh, well, just, this this movie is missing like part of what makes Alien work so well. Aliens as well, I or any of these films that ultimately end up in uh, characters running from some sort of creature and, and slowly getting killed off is like alien itself succeeds so well in that time you spend with all those characters on the yeah. ship. And like this movie has a large, larger cast. Like every time they would like cut to the garage, it's like, all right, there's four more people there. Like, yeah. okay. Um, when, when a bunch of mercenaries show up at a certain point, I'm like where the, I assume they're thought out as part of a secret bodyguard, but like, it always feels like there's just more crew members yeah. coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Uh, and so they're just more body, of them can die in that garage. Right. Right. And I think this movie would have, been stronger to have essentially half the cast but you spend twice as much time with them which is what alien does extremely well um and they would allow you to get more time like you said ren with like getting to know especially like the blue collar class of characters which are so central to the alien franchise and like part of what makes them work and they don't really so that's exist in this one i've been thinking about this the entire time because i think that one of my frustrations uh with prometheus is that I think the strength of the original Alien, from what I remember of it, because we'll get into my relationship to the original Alien next. Uh, ooh, spoilers! Wow! It cut Prometheus as a teaser, and so does Ren. <laughs> um, Alien for me is a movie that is deeply interested in how systems create like situations that hurt people, and like systems like broadly do this to people. Prometheus doesn't seem interested in systems, really at all. It seems interested in individuals who lead them or who are the embodiment of a system. And it in, in that process of individualization kind of undercuts a lot of the critiques that I think Alien is good at doing, which are about like structures of power that people build, as opposed to like individual life forms that that, that we produce. And I think that I felt that was lacking from pretty much the entire movie. Uh, because it was too focused on being like trying to philosophize at you uh, through the most annoying people you've ever met. I think my counterpoint would be that some of that work would be redundant because it's already done so well in Alien. And I think one mm-hmm. of the things this is like what what else like what else is this an origin story for? Uh, the structures of power that the characters of Alien exist within, and I think some of this is like. Ah, this is our brief. This is the movie where we spend time on the on the lofty Olympus uh, that created all the shit that's in play uh, for the for the main mainline alien franchise. And so I, I think it, it makes a degree of sense to me that, like, we kind of overlook until the crucial moment. Uh, that there's this like crew of, of, of basically space truckers uh, who are who are over like overseeing this. But its focus is overwhelmingly on like the dying king, the right. ambitious uh, princess, right? And the mythic figures. the unholy creation. Yeah, like because because yeah. yeah. da- in some ways, like David is, you know, we meet other androids in the series. The series, some are good, one is famously not, uh, but. <laughs> I think like with with David, we're we're sort of confronted with like the scariest version of them all of them all, which is, uh, you know, not just being an aesthetic appreciator of what the alien represents, but someone who actually like in his disgust for what he sees from his creators and humanity 
begins to dream of like what could he create and his dream in response to this is the alien and so i think you know even even there i think the the movie kind of works from the standpoint like i think in terms of its mission it works on this layer but right. i do think it also makes it a less engaging text overall yeah. because like it's i personally don't necessarily like stories from the perspective of gods and demigods are not necessarily my favorite types mm-hmm. of stories in part because they lend themselves to this sort of like really exaggerated heightened characteristics and so i think prometheus by design like loses sight of a lot of human scale stuff uh, and with the exception of these three dudes on the flight deck it, and it's also the the problem that i have is that w- with losing sense of that human scale uh, is that it's also not a melodrama right like the film isn't emotion is not actualized in the world like when you when someone feels something very intensely it doesn't get actualized onto the world it just kind of just people just talk about it at each other and i like i i think that that is it isn't that the movie fucked up what it was doing i think right. the thing it was trying to do kind of sucks on ice i don't like i don't know like so the thing is i think what's weird is the motion is there but again it ends up being played for comedy in some ways mm-hmm. like i think one of the most um <laughs> like going from bad to worse so mm-hmm. we get their entire fucked up hey let's go back into the haunted space base mm-hmm. and take a drink every time someone takes off their uh oh yeah actually we need to time out real quick i think one of the other things that like again setting this up for you're kind of rooting for these characters to eat it in like Mm -hmm. slasher movie roles is the fact that they are so evidently less prepared for this type of work than the the crew of the nostromo in the first movie who are just Mm -hmm. who are just space roughnecks and they're like quarantine procedures uh hazmat suits etc meanwhile holloway's like God wouldn't put anything in the air that could hurt me. <laughs> but then everyone else does it. That's like I like that that's where I would have it would have been more effective if you if you're underscoring the sort of like the, the the worst qualities of Holloway as a character while everyone else is side-eyeing him like okay, but I mean we're on an alien planet. Life like outside of Earth exists. Yeah. Yeah, we can breathe this, but like what are we breathing in? You know, uh, and and so that was my that that like it's an easy knock but on Patrick, the film, and it's it's totally totally earned. But I, I I don't really understand why the other characters follow follow suit. But Patrick, the scanners don't read anything, and obviously, I know our scanners can read everything. They can they know everything that's in the air. Scanners know what to look for, even if they've mm-hmm. never seen it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They're really good at it. And also, we've got these little drone guys who are super smart. The f- Oh, we can talk about the fact they really don't need to go in there at all. Right. They could <laughs> they just let the fucking drones. It's, it's, Those drones, this is visually very cool effect. I feel like oh, one of the most 80s re- looking thing in this movie, which I think is very good. <laughs> well, I think it's so weird. It's both higher tech and lower. I guess yeah. in part because the Nostromo was boxy industrial shit. Mm-hmm. This yes. is like. Uh, like this is a high end yacht being yeah. used for uh, yeah. that's, like, that's, well, that's, that's kind of what I love about they they have their cake and eat it too, which is like how do you do the movie that's decades later that's like by default gonna look fancier and prettier? Well, so they, you're on yeah, like you said, Rob, you're on a rich person's yacht, so that yeah. when we cut to Alien and we've established far space travel 
tr- like tr- space truckers, essentially. They're not going to get this. Yeah. They're not going to. Like, yeah. This is a trillion dollar expedition. A yes. trillion yep. dollars were spent. <laughs> To do the Prometheus mission. So, of course, they get right. the cool lights backing I, up their... their I feel like the yes. annual budget of the Nostromo. I feel like Dallas is not working no. with a trillion dollars no. in the first movie. Absolutely And not. they spent a trillion dollars on the dumbest motherfuckers who have ever existed. And not a second ship. I think that was something that bothered me on the, sec- on the, on the, on the rewatch. Like, really? Like, you wouldn't have a ship One that ship. went down to the planet so that if there was an issue, they could... You know, hmm. But a trillion dollars. I I think that the the plot holes are uninteresting. But exactly. Also That's th- yes. The way that the characters interact with the story feels hollow at times, and I think that is the actual that is the actual criticism. I don't care about the plot holes. You can have as many fucking plot holes as you want in your movie if the characters, the way characters interact with the world feels genuine and real. And I think there's a lot of times in this movie where we don't get that, uh, and it is deeply frustrating. I think that like. The whole sequence that leads to the death of Fifield uh, and and the other guy, where they're like, we're, we're pinging life forms on this scanner. Well, good luck with that. Uh, and then must be a glitch is like one of the most incredible unforced errors I've ever seen. <laughs> and just felt completely discongruous with the character who we who the film has thinks pretty highly of later on the movie's like we like this dude a lot he's the only person who sacrifices himself for other people this entire fucking movie yeah uh does this completely stupid fucking thing immediately it's well so there's not much he can do is the thing right they're stuck in the storm and so it's just like he's giving them a heads up but like, what else is there, right? Like, they can't know, come a, out. He, he has can't more go information in. than he lets on. Like, right. he's like watching their feeds, and he's just like, "I'm just telling you guys what's up. Good luck." That's, <laughs> that's what feels so weird. Is because like he he's doing this, and I thought the first time he's like, "Oh yeah, there's life forms to the west." I thought he was lying, and that they were actually to the east, and he was trying to like push them further towards the life form because he wanted to know what it was like that's how fucking cagey he is about information is that i read when i first saw that a whole other intention into it that made the character's future actions like uh, utterly unreadable to me well so the thing the other thing i guess the thing he can't anticipate is like this like to your point ren even within itself, the film doesn't is really self contradictory because like Fifield and um, the biologist dude, I forget what his name is. Um, they establish early that these are the only two people who know they're in an aliens movie. Like <laughs> the minute they set foot in this thing, Fifield's like, "We shouldn't be here." No, I am. I'm out. I like, like rocks. We just <laughs> we just found a hologram of. An alien getting fucking decapitated as the rest of them are like running in terror through this base. I'm not sticking around. This is this place is scary as hell. And they go to leave. And first, the fact that they immediately get lost, uh, trying right, to he's... go back in a layout that doesn't seem that complicated, no. uh, and that they just mapped. Like, and they one. have a map. <laughs> they have a map. And just then ask. two. But then two. The way they eventually get got. The fact that like these two scaredy cats who are like, oh, I don't want to be out here at all. Totally get it. They go and post up in the most haunted room in the base. 
they're like, let's go past all the weird ceremonial urns, dripping weird black goo yeah. everywhere. Let's just hang. Oh, weird. A little, a little creatures, a little eye stalk is coming out of the, uh, out of, out of, out of the goop. That's, that's cool. That, that seems like a friend. Like, that's the part where it's like, I don't know what they're doing in that room, given how they've been established. And I sure don't get how, even with a biologist who's like probably super stoked to encounter alien life. I don't know how that character that was also like, I want to peace out immediately gets to, well, what if I could befriend the little eye stalk? Like if, if this is a movie that is interested in hubris and like the things that people do when they are overly confident in their abilities. Great. That's cool. There is a way that you can do a very generous reading of what happens to these guys where they are so confident in their skills of geology and biology, respectively, that it gets them killed. But also, they weren't. They knew that they were fallible and so tried to fuck off. And then the movie punishes them for trying to fuck off through just a, a tremendous amount of circumstance. And and I think that it it kind of undercuts whatever they were trying to do thematically with those characters by just making them act in inexplicable ways. Ridley Scott loves spectacle though. I, I mean like the, the man for, for his age is able to, I mean, obviously this is, you know, 10 ish years ago. Um, but uh, I don't know, like the, the all, all of his films from this point, like point forward are spectacle and are so reliant on a good script. Like Ridley Scott can shoot the hell out of anything you give him. Well, here's um, the other thing, you know, as wild as the follow up to this is the Martian. Which which was not his project. He came out. He was a late late addition to that. Someone else was supposed to direct but, that. But Patrick, and then he was available. Me, but tell me, he isn't basically like taking everything he did with Prometheus. But now he's like. But now let's do the optimistic and fun version. Right. Like <laughs> like including sequence like the characters being lost in the storm uh, on this on this planet. Right. Uh, that is how the Martian opens. Just the well, that's why I'd be so cu- and, like, I'd be so no, curious how much how much, that is, how much that is script dependent. <laughs> How much he is, he is also so deeply, he is always shooting, like he had two movies come out last year, right? Like he's 78, I think. Right, what was it, House of Gucci and- House uh, of Gucci, awful film, definitely worth watching though. I need to see it, yeah, for sure. It's it's bad, but like- (laughs) But then The Last Duel was great. Which everyone I've heard that has watched it said it's it's upsetting and unsettling, but a a, a tremendous work. Um, But he is someone that works so fast and at some point is just- doing the things he finds interesting and then still bringing his absolute a game to all the parts that are his part of it. Right. Like like so many things that are, that go wrong in Prometheus have nothing to do with Ridley Scott as a director. Like the performances are great. It is visually arresting. I, this is one of the few films that I distinctly remember. was like, shit, maybe 3d is here to stay. Like, that opening sequence when you come through the fog and have the and have the uh, uh, the waterfall, the sequence where David unlocks um like the the, the universe map and is is yeah. playing with the Earth looked like it's giving me goosebumps to think about how spectacular that looked in 3D. I don't have a 3D, 3D TV. You can't buy one, but I would kill to like <laughs> re-experience this film in 4K 3D because I bet it would look absolutely spectacular. Um, but there's really just me getting around to saying that like Scott is sort of like this, this, this director these days who is clearly going to direct until like his heart gives out. 
is able to still do incredible works, but it sort of just only can do what happens on the page. Now, it does make it really interesting that The Martian is what comes after this because it is well, basically no, the polar opposite. Because I no? forget. It's, it's just three years later, which for a normal director, that would be the follow-up. Uh, <laughs> yes! I forget that, nope, we go from this to like The Counselor, um, What's which the counselor? is another... That is the that is his um, Cormac McCarthy adaptation. No, not adaptation. Cormac McCarthy wrote an original script for this. This is his uh, like dour southwestern uh, narco trafficking crime epic. Huh. Uh, I don't think I saw this. Starring Michael Fassbender as a uh, like cartel lawyer who has tragic ambition. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, you know. Cherche La Femme is all I will say as to how all that <laughs> how all that plays out. Really divisive movie. Uh, like it, it was a complete bomb. And there, that's what Scott quite- does though. Though somehow he is like one of the rare uh, legacy directors that just keeps getting these like really interesting blank checks, and he just keeps writing them. But he makes them so fast that he just jumps to like another studio and makes another. But they're all worth seeing. Like his messiest shit is still visually arresting and interesting in a way that I can't always say the same of his contemporaries um, yeah. from the same era. We um like over on three was ahead, like Troy and I do a lot of like every month we talk about like movies about history and just because of the way it's worked out, we've ended up doing a lot of Scott films. And so I've seen a bunch of his work in the last couple of years, uh, including works that like weren't particularly well received. And like, I guess I think it's absolutely true. Like, even the ones that misses, you're kind of sitting there. You're, you're kind of sitting there being like, yeah, but there's something here. You know what yeah. I mean? Like even even when it seems like the most dour or uh, like exploitative shit, there's always something there uh, that I'm kind of thinking like. Is there a metatextual element to this? Uh, <laughs> because like it's so visually arresting that you just believe. Well, yeah, I guess the rest of have you. Has anyone seen House of Wolves? No, it was I'm a not. Ridley Scott produced HBO Max show um, around when HBO Max started. Wait, we know Raised by Wolves? Raised by Wolves. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Uh, Raised by Wolves. And Ridley Scott directed the pilot. It is one of the coolest fucking pieces of like slices of sci-fi. I There are images I still think about. It is so well worth seeing. And you're going to get to the end and go, I'm on board Five seasons in a movie. Let's go. All I can tell you is don't watch anymore. Like it, it falls off a cliff. But oh, no. it is if if you want to see uh, Ridley Scott make a philosophical, like sort of like where Prometheus is playing is like another high minded sci fi epic with like big messy questions, lots of Christian imagery played with in really interesting ways. Like, could not recommend it more highly. Like, it's gorgeous and interesting. And then he leaves and it gets really bad. <laughs> and, um, I even suck it up and watch Exodus. God, I was just going to bring up, like, he does that after Prometheus. He makes a fucking Bible story movie after this, which is wild to me. Ben Kingsley, Sigourney Weaver, John Tr- Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Say no more. Is really, Scott's great is what we're saying. Yeah. But also, this is this is, but this is also so him being like, okay. So th- this is the other thing. I think something else is going on in this is like, this is total projection, probably bullshit. But I do Hit feel us. like there's also a. I've always felt like Ridley Scott 
has on some level feels he has not gotten his due as one of the great directors in mm-hmm. film history. Mm. Yeah. And so like he does things like Saving Private Ryan, like absolutely is one of those films that like, again, further just like establishes Spielberg, you're the best to ever do it. And he's like, I'm going to make Black Hawk down. Like, I'm going to make it even more visceral and like terrifying war movie. Like, just to show you, just to show you that I can do it too. Uh, I think in this film, he is very explicitly like, so I think there's, there's parts of this that he's like, John Carpenter, I see you. I love your work, man. Like, I think everything that unfolds in the, in the garage is like him being like, you know, the thing had some great beats. I'm just going to use that shit. Like, but also, but also, John, you can't, I saw Ghosts of Mars. You can't direct shit anymore and you should stop trying. (laughs) And like little things about some of the, some of the just production design aboard the ship. He's, Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of like, yeah, okay, I'll throw a nod to Kubrick here as well. That was, Mm -hmm. that was present from the start with, with Alien as well. Um, but, I think with, you know, when you look at films like Exodus, it's him taking, you know, aim at Cecil B. DeMille. He, he's always out there. I, I feel like kind of on a mission to show that he can work like in any mode, uh, like in any style and yeah. like do it as well as anyone has ever done it. And frequently in that process falls on his face. Like, that's the thing. It's like, frequently it's like, I'm going to make this kind of movie. And everyone's like, boo, you suck. But he also you, makes them so you made fast. The joyless version. It, but, it, it, but also, like, his speed as a director has got to – his own hubris. Like, the fact that he can just, like, spin up, makes films so quickly. Oh, I think Gladiator, it's, it's frankly, famously, there was no script. Like, he won Best Picture for a movie that they went to shoot, and they did not have a script. You ever wonder why, like – all the stuff at the first like third of Gladiator, the stuff with like fighting the Germans and the mm. forest and like the succession, all that stuff seems super tight. And then it's like, I don't know. So Maximus is a gladiator now, but like, don't worry. Commodus is like, I'm going to have the biggest WrestleMania in history. And then I'm going to get killed <laughs> by like, like all. Why is it so vague? It's because they were just like, they had it in place. They had the actors in place and they were just like, let's fucking go. And so it is Russell Crowe and uh, Ridley Scott basically like handwriting their shooting script on the set. <laughs> oh, my God. As they do that movie. I mean, and I love the, that. Well, Amazing. and and you can sort of see it clear as day in the film. This is a, that's a film shot with basically like a couple sets. They just keep redressing and recreating to give you an idea of like it being a place. And the movie wins best picture. And like, I highly <laughs> recommend the like. 4k edition of gladiator they put out a few years ago because it is one of the most like all the special features there are killer they're one of the like best like it is one of the most well-documented film productions i've ever seen and it is warts and all like they get into cool stuff like what prop masters were doing on that film but the the most revealing stuff is like scott and crow basically (laughs) talking about we ad libbed an entire movie out of this, and can you believe oh we got away with it? God. Phoenix, uh, <laughs> Phoenix Wright, Joaquin Phoenix was basically like begging to be let off the film. There, he was like, "I don't think I'm a good fit for this," and they were just like, "Why don't you just shoot these scenes with us and see how you feel about it?" And then they basically got what they needed and convinced him to stick around to finish the film. Holy. But like, but this, like, to your point, this this is Scott, right? Like, he can. It's he what he is, does. He, like, he would have been perfectly at home in old Hollywood, where it's like directors just like in the machine making these movies, because that's how he approaches it, completely unsentimentally, and like an absolute mercenary in some ways, but then also haunted by this notion of 
but my films are important. More people should see that. <laughs> <laughs> if I just make more of them, then they'll finally it'll, get it'll, it. It'll all work out. Uh. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for Gladiator, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read you uh, a sentence here. Throughout filmmaking, the actors complained about problems with the script. William Nicholson was brought to Shepperton Studios to make Maximus a more sensitive character. Nicholson reworked Maximus's friendship with Juba and developed the afterlife thread in the film, saying he did not want to see a film about a man who wanted to kill somebody. To which... The screenplay faced many rewrites and revisions, with several actors providing changes. Crow questioned every aspect of the evolving script and strode off set when he did not get answers. According to Nicholson, Crow reportedly told him that his lines are garbage, but I'm the greatest actor in the world and I can even make garbage sound good. I don't think Crow was wrong. <laughs> like, like, I think I think he was bringing something very necessary oh, wow. to that film. Like Crow. Difficult to work with. Kind of a prick in some ways. Uh, but the man, beginning like, throw a, he threw a phone in Australia. That was him, right? Was that wasn't that Russell Crowe? Oh, uh, I point. feel there's been a lot of like temper and uh yeah. like alcohol issues around Crow over Oof, the years. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus. But yeah, I mean, like, is is Ridley Scott doing the thing where like a, a a really pretty person walks into a room and you're like they just seem so nice. Is he just doing that with movies over and over and over He's again? He's a critical darling. Like his movie his movie he is make in in many ways he is making films that don't get made anymore. House of Gucci like a big sprawling mm. like narrative epic with stacked to the brim with like A-list actors like, right. like that doesn't come out in movie theaters, but it does for him. The Last Duel, similar. Like, we're going to make the, like, you know, I mean, you hear the pitch on that film. It's like, we're going to watch an assault three times from different perspectives of different characters. But also, you're going to get a killer. The Last Duel will occur in the Sur- middle. In the I movie. will also say, surprisingly, not about that, as you might think. Okay. All right. like, but I mean, like, that's the pitch of the movie, right? Like, that, like that's the log line, essentially, even if that's not what the movie is. But I just, like, they don't make movies like that anymore. Not at the scale like it's stuff that happens at Netflix, like with a, a fraction of the budget. Like there is something beautiful when Ridley Scott like is eventually gone or retires from directing. I don't think he will. I think he will. He is just going to keep doing this till he can't anymore. Like we'll have really lost something interesting because he swings every every time in a, in a way that I just can't help but respect. Every production of his that mm. I watch, I come away glad I watched it, even if you know Prometheus runs you know, really close to like the messiest of his, of his modern uh, works. But you know, you're not, I I, I don't know for me, like wasn't, I was like, I'm glad he made it. Like I'm glad he made it as opposed to somebody else, because at least it's interesting. Patrick, I so bad. You just need to treat yourself to the counselor soon. I think if if you're like, if you're like, I need some mess. The counselor is good. Is some real mess, but no, I think, I think it's true. And I think something I do find maybe admirable about Prometheus is you can start to see the pitch of like, alien prequel mm. and he's like you can't use the title alien in it right no, right because the sequel gets one, it right alien no fucking covenant. alien no yeah, it's alien. not in it okay fine studio i'll put in a five second cg thing at the end that you could put on youtube yeah. you know what i mean yeah. like he's like yeah. you know what? i just want to make this movie about how much i hate the fact that you're making this movie yeah uh is what i'm i'm going to also do. i gonna- hate religion i hate organized religion i would like to beat it with a giant stick 
Not enough people hours. saw Kingdom of Heaven, so I feel like <laughs> I just need to like go back over this ground and just like really smash some temples uh, along along the way. Uh, no, I mean I, yeah. I, I I do kind of love that shit, and then I and, I, and then I think with this movie also there's that that element of, but by the way, just lest ye forget, uh, you know, I am a great epic director uh, in the grand tradition, and like we can tell that because. One of the things that inspires David's turn toward absolute megalomania is Lawrence of Arabia, a film about a guy who basically remakes the map of the Middle East in part because he's like, I wonder if I could pull this off <laughs> and becomes sort of a monstrous Jesus. figure of ambition uh, and uh, violence by the end. Great movie. Uh Sorry, midway through this also, the third coffee kicked in, so I'm talking too much. Yeah, it really, Scott, making a movie about creation and how it fucking sucks and the people who make things are actually bad about his own franchise, right? Like, maybe I shouldn't have made Alien. (laughs) Maybe it wouldn't be haunting me still, is kind of what I end up reading from, uh, like, if he had placed himself as... the like original creators here. Cause he's not, I don't think he is broadly not involved after alien. After, I don't know what right. his relationship is to aliens right. specifically, like where they had a hand in Cameron or if that was strictly the studio. Well, but that's the thing. The, the create the engineers like seed life leave, come back a few times and then it's fucked up by the time they come back right it's true it's true like come yeah. on it's yeah. right there i feel like yeah. oh, alien, all versus, alien versus predator what the f- what, what the are you fuck, fuck doing over here <laughs> yeah. um which is interesting because now he has reinserted him he like what's interesting about scott is that the a lot of the path of the this era of directors directors as they reach a certain age is they they kind of lose their touch in directing and mm-hmm. move producing. They, they use their name to leverage younger talent, mm-hmm. um, maybe in, associated with the franchises that they were part of in in their in their youth. Um, but Scott specifically is still directing in many ways, pretty close to the top of his game, at least as a visual artist, and is also producing. Right, so you have uh, you know he's uh, producing. He's actually, the, the next extensions of the Aliens universe uh, are uh, Noah Hawley, who did the Fargo television show. Which broadly is pretty good um, and proves that should you make a Fargo TV show? Well, maybe that first season, but I don't know if it's going to work after that. And I didn't catch the the latest season with Chris Rock, but I don't know. It's broadly, I think Fargo is a a pretty good show. They've they've kept hitting increasingly faster fastballs. Yes. Yeah. Um, And at least getting like a second base hit. Yes. And 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 Holly also uh, responsible for uh, Legion. Uh, which I only saw hmm. the first season of, but was an extension of like the X-Men universe that was really, in- like really interesting and high minded. And now he is doing an alien series that is set on Earth within what? I also Rock. did miss that he was made. He made a, apparently like in production or wrapped a Napoleon biopic starring Joaquin Phoenix. Oh yeah, sure, I'm feasting. This no. is just the final <laughs> days of Ridley Scott. They're right. all for me. Like, man, can you imagine if Michael Mann's uh, Ferrari, like Enzo, and uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon movie come out in the same year? I'm just ah. gonna send. Wait, when is Enzo <laughs> supposed to come out? Uh, soon, I think. Though, uh, Napoleon's supposed to release in 2023. Rob, 
There's a very real world in which in which you get both of these movies uh, at the same time. Oh my uh, god! Uh, so it is it is just called Ferrari. Smart move there. Uh, but yeah, that's that's coming soonish. But sorry, yeah. And then and then uh, 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 Fetty Alvarez, who was the director of the Evil Dead reboot from that's increasingly almost ten years ago, which I thought was excellent. I thought it was a really smart invention of reinvention of that franchise. Um, and he has some pitch on on Alien. So I think. Ridley Scott wanted to make three of these films. It was supposed yeah. to be Alien, not Alien Covenant, but just Covenant. Was, I think it was supposed to be Covenant, and it was supposed to sort of it's a little Bible have, reference for you, you know, yeah. like people putting the pieces together. Mm-hmm. And then I believe the third film was going to be like the connective tissue between, like that that the question that you had, Rob, of like, well, why why does the company want to investigate, you know, uh, this signal? Like, why do they suspect something might be there? And like the way, you know, you can still infer enough of it from the groundwork laid in Prometheus and Covenant, which is that David, David is responsible for, right. you know, um, the, the events of Alien, uh, essentially, and the creation of this like super organism. Um, but uh, but basically like Covenant, Prometheus did OK. Covenant didn't bomb, but did pretty bad and had the alien like front and center and people just didn't didn't really care mm-hmm. and so they fox didn't let him make the the third movie that would have uh that's the one that wasn't the one that ca- a check he couldn't cash was was doing a third one of those so which apparently like sort of f- the the bridge part of this was the thing that originally sold ridley scott when uh who, who was the screenwriter uh the screenwriter john, Sp- john spates or something like that yeah the, the screenwriter, screenwriter prometheus like approached him with the connective tissue between a prequel and the mm. original series. Mm. So it's very funny to me that that's the part that never, that they never got that to. Probably better left unsaid anyway. Like I genuinely think Prometheus is, is like a better move. Like if you just think of Prometheus as just a single film that yeah. ends with Shaw leaving. Right. Like, and she's never going to find the answer she wants. doesn't matter if she makes it to the engineer's planet. Right. What's she going to find there? She's just gonna die. I, 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 I like Prometheus ending in that way, where it's just look. She, it's not about finding God. She actually is not gonna. She, if they tell her the reason, they gave her a, a readout of like, here's how no. humanity was bad and why we wanted to hit the reboot button. I don't think Shaw ends. Shaw is probably radicalized. Shaw, Shaw takes out the engineers. <laughs> Maybe yeah, and like she does. She does say like. Uh, what is it? Uh, I deserve an answer in a way which does read like she will get an answer whether it's like you know through just like killing a bunch of people and like find finding answers afterwards rather than like I need to have a conversation with God right? It's very different tenor than the other people who are like we have to talk to them. Um, by the end of that film, uh, it yeah. is a bummer though learning that she just fucking. Dead immediately. <laughs> immediately. Gets That's... I mean, you, I, my my, I've, uh... I, it's been so long since I've like, as I follow the like development of these films, like in, like religiously. Um, and my understanding is that like the reason the second movie Covenant opens with just like cool, like so in about ten minutes we're gonna kill Shaw and then we're gonna get rid of all those engineers because we gotta get David to a planet and mm. an alien and a group of. They essentially bring back the space trucker sort of thing. Like, they're explorers, like, repopulating a planet, like, yada, right. yada, yada, in the, in the second one. Um, that movie just, like, just takes a beeline to how do right. we create an alien film uh, as quickly Which, as possible. When I think that, I think, you know, it, had Scott been given 
full reign. That's a movie that like it would have breathed a little bit more and probably would have been more, you know, philosophical and, and interesting. Well, that's, but, that's uh, one of the things I feel like about this film is it feels so quickly paced for especially in comparison to alien itself like the original yeah. like obviously this is a director like 30 years after the fact but it it does feel a little bit like he might have wanted it to be a longer film i mean it already comes in at 124 minutes or whatever right um but i could definitely see a 20th century fox being like no make it shorter right there are definitely some cuts in there where i'm like i feel like a different uh a different Ridley Scott would have let a lot of these scenes breathe more. I think there's, uh, but I also feel like there's a stylistic change that that's happened with him where I think he's become much less of a, he also, I think wants to move through uh, a script pretty sure. quickly, just in terms of like uh, a couple months ago, I watched the duelists, his first movie and the last duel kind of back to back. And they just feel like they're made by completely different people. Right. Um, and I think Alien and Prometheus kind of have a similar vibe in terms of, uh, yeah, he, he is like really loses some interest in like the long take and the slow unfolding of like mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think here, like you can you feel like I, I do feel like there's a version of this and maybe work lands a bit better by like yeah. sitting with some of this stuff, sitting right. with the sense of mystery and awe that some of this might evoke. But because we're so often being whisked off to the next stage of this by characters who in a weird way seem incapable of the appropriate level of awe mm-hmm. uh, for this, that like it kind of diminishes it. And we just speed to the part of like literally it's, oh, man, look, like that's an alien runway and those are alien structures. Cool. And then we're off to the races with them, mm-hmm. like, meeting their... their or, or someone making a poor decision, right? Because we have to ratchet the tension to get to a horror-adjacent <laughs> scene, as opposed yeah. to... Um, you can imagine, like, you've just met your... Or, like, you know, remnants of what you believe to be your creator. Like, that, you know, why isn't that, like, a 10-minute scene of debate back on the ship as everyone unpacks their reactions to it? Right. Like, there's just no... The movie is just uninterested... In spending that time with the characters, instead it's like reduced to quips and yeah. asides. As they as they, it often feels like a lot of that catharsis happens not in a cathartic way, but just in transition, where it's yeah. like ah, like we we just have to like as the camera pans to them making a poor choice, they, they have to include this character development and reaction right. in a way that uh, I don't just again comparing to like everything that happens in Alien. Like part of the strength of that film is the characters react. And have time to react, and like there's just there's just so little of that. Uh, That's why the, the the scene with David and uh, what's his face Charlie is like the one part where that yeah. like actually happens. Definitely, I think a highlight yeah. of the character work in, in this movie. Yeah, like for me, it is it is that is the that is the best scene in the movie is that conversation. Like I don't know, I, this film truly dies by its script for me. Um, and that's a bummer. Like, I think that there is a version of this movie that is actually really, really excellent. Yeah. Um, and that I walk away from being like, oh, I actively really like, I like Prometheus. And that's not the movie we watched um, because it, 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 it's script just felt bad to witness. Like it was just, I don't know. It, it's a bummer. Cause again, like you said, Scott's still a great director. 
Like he still has that. You got to catch him in the hallway, and, he, and he's like, "I'm off to go direct to Rethius." Like, here's a couple of pages. He's like, "Can we have like a week to work on it?" No, nope. I've got a. They already We're building done. the sets. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay, I think we can. Let me take a look into these this question bucket that we've formed here. Thanks for everyone who's answered Patrick's call on Twitter. There's a lot of options here, but let's start with, um, I lost it. It refreshed. There was a question about the sort of, um, cause we didn't actually talk about the specific scene. So I figured I'd bring it up. Prometheus is infamous to some for the quote, not running left scene as people argue mm. that if they were being chased by a giant wheel chip, they would simply run perpendicular to the direction the ship was rolling. However, movies often rely on a suspension of disbelief to convey something emotionally true, even if it doesn't quote-unquote make sense. What is y'all's threshold for so-called quote-unquote cinema sins, and how do they affect how you enjoy a film like Prometheus? I hate this argument so much. I think, like, yeah, the argument like, is, I think there's, right. I think there's, like, I think there are places where it's like, like things like the everyone popping their the seal on their suit immediately. That does bug right. you because it's like it doesn't really jive with like you're supposed to be scientists. The not running left thing is fucking stupid because <laughs> here's the thing: this is a lot like it is a gargantuan spaceship that's rolling, like. It is going to fall. This is one of the things the the other characters do know is like this thing's going to tip over and fall at some point. So like the odds of it flattening you are very good. Simply running left is not a guarantee of safety. Uh, you're kind of trying to like it, like you're kind of trying to outrun both its toppling and it is unclear how far you have to run right or left to get clear of it. Well, that's what I mean. Our sense of scale as the viewer right. gives mm-hmm. us like there are shots where we see the entire ship. And we see our two our two characters running. And so we have a but they are viewed as ants from that perspective. And if you then imagine what does the flip of that look like? Where like this towering alien ship, not to mention one of our characters, now granted Shaw happens to to roll out of the way, but like has gone through an incredible trauma yeah. for the last 25 minutes. Uh I, I'm with you, Rob. Like it's I feel like this movie was picked to 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 pieces over over things like this, some justifiably, others. Uh, this became like a really obsessive part of like why this movie doesn't work. And I, I think maybe the the movie the movie plays into the hands of the critics by not spending enough time with the scale of the characters, so you can convey what why would they act this way. And when you give the full scale, when you put that in in hand in hand with a script that is otherwise full of some logical inconsistencies. You sort of play into the hand of the critics in a way that feels unfair to the scene, but I understand how people arrive there. I just don't agree, like you, with how, like, sort of like the viscera, the meanness of that, of, of like how people react to that bit feels, uh, you know, not necessarily fair. Yeah, I think it's totally fine to put plot, like, I don't, plot holes are irrelevant to me, uh, except for when they completely undercut character. And I don't think the running left thing undercuts character yeah. at all in like any meaningful way. So like I this is this is nothing to me. And honestly, I don't know. I buy a bunch of assholes uh taking off their helmets and the the two not the two uh <laughs> the two that don't end up, you know, running off, but there's like a lot of uh weird like faith, right? Like they believe very yeah. strongly in this thing and therefore 
<laughs> they they believe very strongly, I guess, in their instruments as well. Um, well, here's a silly one while I look for another one. Uh, why do the robots have milk for blood? Hmm. Is this explained in Alien? I don't think I don't so. Know. I feel like... Uh, it, they just do. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those... It's a fun color to see splurt out of something that looks human, it's I gross. guess. Yeah, it's, it's, gr- like, it's, it's gross. Yeah, it's gross, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, spilt milk and, like, the, the uh, like, specific quality that, like, the goo has in Alien and Prometheus, it's just upsetting. Like, I think that is, like, the long and short of it. It looks disgusting, <laughs> and you wouldn't want it on you. <laughs> Um, this is more of a funny anecdote, but hey, all this is uh, Ken. Before I ask a question, I have a story to share about a midnight screening attendant on the release of the film. A few rows down, a guy had a replica of a face hugger sitting in the seat next to him. I noticed that halfway through the film, no one was sitting there, but also the face hugger had been tucked away as if to shield it from the horror of watching that terrible movie. <laughs> to this day, I still think about how lucky that inanimate creature was to weasel out of it. Anyway, how mm. audible was the groan when Charlize Theron very dramatically said the word "father" when old, bad, old makeup guy <laughs> Pierre showed up on the ship? That, that was bad. I don't that understand why. Like of all the like weird lines that happen in this film, I feel like that one does stick out. I guess mm-hmm. like most of the film is very kind of like as we were saying, a big nose on the nose about like what its themes mm-hmm. are. And even that felt like a, a step too far. It's like, yeah, we get it. Like yeah. the whole thing is about creators, parents, fathers, the life, the cycle of life. We didn't need Charlie's weird, like emphasis on that. I don't know. I, but again, this is, I think this is one of the hazards of working at the scale. Mm. Where it's like when you're making a movie about like God, like living gods, you end up with people declaiming rather than like talking. Right. And that is what right. happens in that scene is like, ah, father. It's not just it's not just her father. It is the concept of father. And both are present that in, right. in that line reading. But also it makes you want to crawl under a rock. <laughs> <laughs> like. I think I think this scale of character can go very well, and this movie just doesn't have the doesn't have the chops uh, yeah. for that like level of declare like declaration. Um, I do want to give credit to this movie real quick. Yeah, yeah. you know, I appreciate that in like twenty thirty years to think about it. Ridley Scott was like. Was the face hugger explicitly sexual enough? <laughs> and oh really, when that last Look. engineer buys it, oh yeah, is just one of the most like atrociously sexualized like deaths in a series built on like sexualized body horror. Yeah, it's a, and it's yet, astounding. And yet, <laughs> it's like you know what if the face hugger was just bigger and really just. Instead of just like sitting there, like enveloping its victim, we actually saw it give sort of a coital lurch. What if we made collapse. the face hugger come? Yeah. What if we made it clear when the face hugger comes? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. It's kind of the kind of the approach yep. they took, which was not uh, my favorite thing I've seen. But you know what? I respect the ambition. It, it's a vision. <laughs> um, you know, Alien was just too subtle. 
here's a question from Ogre. Hi, Waypoint. One thing I came to realize that is that modern horror films struggle to have fun or interesting protagonists. I don't agree with that, but uh, I can see their point with the things they mentioned. I can name a single trait of... I can't name a single trait of anyone in A Quiet Place. Everyone in The Thing from 2011 is remarkably dull compared against the ensemble from 1982. However, I feel like Prudis is a rare exception to this rule. Shaw manages to be compelling strong female protagonists while sharing nothing in common with Ripley, which is an impressive feat of writing. David is one of the, David is one of the few things about the film that every everyone can agree is is great. Even the more tertiary characters are at least fun to watch. Do you feel similarly about the cast of Prometheus and about modern horror movies in general, or is it fair to call is it even fair to call Prometheus a horror movie, or is this just a very scary Indiana Jones in space? Lots of love, ogre. I feel like we we kind of touched on this a little bit, but like we want like I would have wanted even more of the tertiary characters, right? Like I do think like even the glimpses that we do get of them are pretty good. And part of that does feel a little bit like at least personally having seen Alien, I am like making parallels to that crew as well. And like the kind of like characterization that happens in that movie that this one is kind of missing. But even by the standards of like some of these other kind of like you know, obviously worse movies, um, like, especially uh, uh, Fastbender's character does kind of, like, stand out. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think uh, one of the lessons of, like, a lot of modern horror, like, the term that I don't like but is mm-hmm. often applied, the elevated horror, which is basically just <laughs> horror that you you want to say you liked a horror movie, but you don't want to say that you watched a horror movie. <laughs> I respect Ari Aster as a writer and director, but I don't want to say I associate with those degenerates that like Friday the 13th. Um, and like either the the reason, I mean, not that those movies didn't exist in the 70s, 80s and 90s, but I think a lot of the lessons of modern horror is understanding like some of the, like the reason a genre like elevated horror can exist is because there are enough of them. There are enough young writers and directors who understand the secret to a really good lasting horror film is not one that is known for its kills but that those kills are aided by interesting characters you know it's the reason a movie like like the best parts of hereditary are are frankly like before the final 20 minutes we're exhilarating <laughs> and scary and well constructed um but i enjoy like all the build-up and and like the creation of those characters uh before you know, the spooks get uh, turned on. And so I don't know. I, I, I actually fundamentally disagree. I think like horror is in like a healthier place than it has ever yeah. been, uh, especially in regards to like having care about the characters uh, and and uh, and how that leads up to tell interesting stories within the subgenres. Yeah. I mean, there's like obviously been some clunkers, but that happens in every genre. It's just like, I don't know, like. I love all of Jordan Peele's movies, for example. Like, there's a lot of other stuff out there that doesn't... Like, Mandy was fucking great. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily feel as big. If that is is your... Like, like, I think if you are just watching the stuff that surfaces on, like, a Netflix or or something like that, like, like go subscribe to Shudder, like, when they have their annual sale uh, for Halloween in a couple of weeks. Like, they are always surfacing... Not just great stuff from decades prior, but uh, a lot of really good modern stuff that is that is you know well worth checking out. Rob, you were you were your jaw was. I open. was just I was just gonna say like I think maybe one thing that is a little bit in play with 
maybe modern horror, but I think this is across a lot of movies is just not enough space left for like actual character actors, like mm-hmm. people who imbue mm-hmm. like thin, like by, by the nature of their career, it tend to like have to imbue kind of thin background characters with a lot of personality and like memorable qualities. And I do think something that like, you know, you look at a movie like this, there's so much like it's a pretty stacked cast uh, in, in terms of who is in this. And like a lot of people were at sort of peaks in terms of like their like their star power uh, at the time. But you kind of see the limitations of. Charlize Theron is a is a great actor. She's not given enough to do in this film. Uh, and in some ways, you'd see this maybe working better with someone who, you know, can make more of a meal out of the thin amount of the thin mm. gruel that like Scott's script is serving up. Cause, cause I do think like, you know, when I, when I think about a lot of great movies from like sort of heydays of these genres, I think one of the things that defines them is that you have like one, you got a lot of these things coming from like mid to low budget backgrounds. So just working with mm-hmm. non mainstream stars, but two, I just think it's a different era in filmmaking where like, there's a lot less emphasis on, outside of the top billing we need to t- like stack this thing with stars and i think prometheus and a lot of a lot of films you know made now there is kind of the temptation to like you know outside of the leads down through like six supporting parts you're trying to like jam uh more big names in there and i think those are parts that <laughs> damn it those are parts that in the past uh would have been going to uh character actors Well, it used to be the case that horror made stars, right? So one of the most frequent things, this doesn't happen as much anymore, but if you used to, when you used to go strolling through a a video store in the 90s, early 2000s, um, you would see, like, for example, I think it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is one of the first films with Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. And, like, horror was the entryway for not even just character actors, but actors to get their foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... You would see this really funny thing, like if you if you were to Google the box art for Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, I think it's like New Beginnings or whatever that one is called. Their names are not on that box art; they're nobodies. They're just in the film because they were cheap. But then once they became popular, they do the new box art that says starring Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, and like that's horror. In, like especially in that era, used to be like there are so. I mean, that's where. Uh, Oh, who's in Leprechaun? Um, Jennifer Aniston, her first role, one of her first roles is in the original Leprechaun, Leprechaun film. Like, um, <laughs> there is a whole litany of actors that you know who are the biggest names in Hollywood and their first role or first roles were in some cheap, shitty production that I probably have a Blu-ray movie of on my shelf. Um, and that that just, to your point, Rob, like that just exists less these these days. Like that is less of a funnel for actors um, to sort of like find their way into, to the broader system. Like it's just mm-hmm. the, the movies are just made so differently these days. And I agree. I think Prometheus would have been better. Give it one or two top heavy actors and, and like, like have fast, but you know, I guess fast, better wasn't really, he's never really been like kind of that level. Well, uh, I think actor, he's always sort of fought against it is the thing. I think he's yes, always he been, seems, he's like, you know what I prefer to be is unsettling. He's got like, he, like the drawing the parallel between him and O'Toole, another guy who was like a huge star of his day. Uh, but like, 
he's like, what if I was that, but just slightly off-putting in some weird, ineffable quality? What if I took enough weirdo projects that yeah. studios don't know quite what to do with me? Yeah. And also, I'm really going to champion an Assassin's Creed project, because lest we forget, he is the entire oh reason that movie happened. Oh. Fassbender was, ex- oh, Fassbender was committed that. to the Assassin's Creed universe. Um, and, and you want to go watch a... It's not an interesting misfire, but it's worth watching because it's a stacked cast. Uh, the Assassin's Creed movie is. I had blocked the memory of that movie from my mind. I saw that in uh-huh, theaters, uh-huh. I think. But that's <laughs> kind of why well, I love talking it. About faith. <laughs> so I'm talking about It was not. It was. I did. Wow. I had. It was like I went with a friend. It was like, let's go see this. Like, oh, I guess I'm not fucking doing anything else today. Sure. <laughs> Jesus. I was not particularly uh, excited. It was like, yeah, that's about what it was. That that movie is know, about it, what I expected. So much, but it's made so much more interesting by the knowledge that Fastbender Fast was so yeah pushed it right yeah. like like this he is was happening. Into it. I'm he, willing. He, to he was like existence. he seemed very into oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. no, hundred percent. He was very he was creatively involved. Like this was that was a, a project that probably doesn't happen yeah. without him. So you know what, Fastbender Scott, keep being weird. I'm I'm here for it. Hey y'all, what do you think the black goop tastes like? You know. Stuff that's on the acid urns is acid. So acid. I think it tastes like acid. Looks great. I feel like it has like it's like uh, um one of those uh you know things got things with charcoal in it got in vogue yes. right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Then this is exactly what like I feel like uh like a uh or um maybe like black greedy? sesame black sesame seeds so it's edible. Let's just say well, that. Now I'm so that I'm, yeah, now I now I want to taste the goo. <laughs> um. Uh. Okay, I think one more. Uh, this one's mostly a joke, though. What do you think, David? Told the engineer that elicited such a violent response. My theory. Hey, did you hear they did a 3D conversion of Lawrence of Arabia? Well, because you wa- if you watch this movie in 3D, Rob. Yeah. Oh, you would have been getting. Lawrence you would have been getting Lawrence. I missed it. I missed. 3D. I was like, there was not a re-release of the movie. With the- God, could you imagine? Here's the thing, though. You would believe it. I would believe it. The yeah. fucking things that Hollywood does with the old movies. God, can you imagine uh, being that engineer and like the last thing you remember was wanting to just destroy humanity, but you went into a deep sleep, yeah, and then you wake up. And this raggedy ass <laughs> motherfucker is is asking for answers. I would beat the shit out of him. Yeah, I don't I, think it, like your like your dot your little rat creation like grew up and found you. Like, ugh, like get out. I don't, I don't think he does ask. I I really don't think David asks the question that Peter asks him to. That is my actual oh, read on that. That's scene, interesting. I don't that, know what. Yeah, is that Peter says. David asked him that question, and then David says something to the engineer. Like the engineer's already pissed, but yeah. for me, that's that how that scene that the scene reads as David going, "You should kill this man. He is pathetic." Right? Like that is that is that is his goal. And but then scene. he kills. But then he kills. Or he tries. He, he to. rips off his head yeah. first. He, but he's a robot. He doesn't. That doesn't matter. He got the kill he wanted. Yeah. Listen, David's KD is positive. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on, I can answer this question. According to Dr. Uh, Anil uh, Biltu, the film's official translator and linguistics consultant, David did as he was asked, and translating his words as follows, quote, 
This man is here because he does not want to die. He believes you can give him more life. So actually, David does pass on the message. Hey. And the response <laughs> from, from God is... More no. life? No. <laughs> we were already no on our way to fuck you asked. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I think, I think that'll do it for this turn on my turn. Uh, next up, Ren. Wait, mm. are we doing this structure differently? We are, aren't we? Yeah. No. What? Huh? Who? I'm trying to remember. We had a conversation and it's like, there's only one, one, one of these. Like, it has yeah. no structure. It's, that's it's, true. It's whatever you want. Um, well, let's quickly shout out. Thank you for everyone who's w- listening to this on Waypoint Plus. Y'all make this possible. And if you're not listening to it on Waypoint Plus, you could be listening to this podcast without an ad. Wouldn't that be great? Also, that uh, that uh, gets you access to the rest of the feed, which includes such shows as Manhunting. Every once in a while, we throw a spoiler cast over there. Who's to say what's coming up? We have ideas. Oh, I'm going right? to make Rob record a sports podcast tomorrow. Yeah. Just, or not next week. So don't worry about that. We're going to figure that out. We're going to do something. So <laughs> look forward to that. So yeah. If you're listening to this on the free feed, maybe check out Waypoint Plus at waypointplus.com. Um, let's do outros then. Yeah. Rob, where can people find you on the internet? At Rob Zachney. Patrick. At Patrick Kluppick. Ren. You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. And Ren, you're you're next up. What yes, is I am. what is what are you using your turn to do? For my turn, I will be uh having us watch uh the original Alien, uh, because I thought it would be fun to do like a uh original modern sequel, modern sequel original. That'll that'll be fun. It also gives the audience uh so, such Finally, a fascinating some good place food. to go to. Yeah. Such a, such a <laughs> well, fascinating but you understand, place you understand to that means to. The pendulum will have. We have to give some chaos options yeah. for the for the audience. Then, I mean, I I, th- I agree. This right. is a good pendulum swing. But I I you know when we after this, where the audience is allowed to choose, we can give them delicious treats. So, but also straight I, straight I, up I, a thing that we could structurally had hadn't like pinned down yet. Are we gonna have the audience nominate things and then we call and then they vote? Or are we succeeding the pool? I, on my own? opinion, my thought on this would be that each of us brings one to the table that we would like to be the final turn, and then the audience yeah. gets to pick. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a, I have another uh, structural follow up that I want to that I want to check in on. After the audience's turn, does the theme reset? Uh, yeah. Or, so my thought, or is it a chain, a never-ending chain going forward into the future as we as we <laughs> as we walk into the uncharted waters of movies? The way I, I'll just walk you through the way I conceived. It does not have to be this way, but the way I conceived it was like how how can we find a way to talk about like culturally relevant things and then do cool stuff connected to it? So the thought was. Well, in theory, we would have maybe started with, but like Prey was the original idea. I was like, I want to talk about Prey, but how do we like, what's the structure we can do around that? And it's like, oh, Predator, Prey, then we get to Prometheus and and Alien, whatever's after that. And so my thought is that, yes, there is a version of this that is a really interesting idea, which is just you keep branching off the original tree. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and we could do that. We could have, I guess we could keep 
we could keep branches <laughs> like that we wanted to keep going off of in between. But I think what will allow us to like speak to like a big new thing that we're excited about. Um, and like that starts a new branch. So like, I don't, you know, pick some, if there was a movie in October, like a spooky yeah. movie we wanted to do, and then we could branch off of that. Um, yeah. That was my original idea. Um, it was like, how do we talk about something the audience is watching and is excited about? Um, yeah. And then do some cool stuff. How do we? Well, how do we circle back around to Nope? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, movie. the thing is, like, Pat, like when it rotates back to Patrick, Patrick could always be the one to like. Well, I guess I have to be the person to see the relevant thing. Uh, that like wow, just, just, just taking away my turn. No, 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 no. You, you, you like you. You love being abreast of these things. I and, do. Like, I do. Getting around, like, so you can be like, hey, here's some stuff we should have covered this year, or some like cool mm-hmm. movies that came out. It could be Nope or whatever, or here's what's coming out this month we should talk about. And maybe you just have to like carry that ring. Okay. All right. That's fine. I can do that. Okay. Let's do that then. Um. And then and then, but you know, in theory. We like can accomplish both tasks, which is that it doesn't always have to be immediately connect, like, you know, like we're no, creating a right. longer timeline. Right. And so even if let's say there's some spooky movie we watch in October and then that kicks off a new series, you might be able to find connected tissue between that and alien or whatever. And that allows you to go down whatever road you, you'd like, because all told, I'm surprised at the limited chaos, like to going <laughs> to going from <laughs> predator to prey to Prometheus to alien there all were a lot of other ways. Y- look, y'all <laughs> shot down Jingle all the way. Like I, you didn't, you did no such thing. You <laughs> excuse me. You got you got scared you by Rob. Warned. You got scared by Rob. I would have I back. I would have backed you 100. percent Wouldn't have uh, stopped you. So just take take that as a lesson for the future. Don't have the confidence of your convictions. But right. do you know? Am I glad we did Prometheus? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. Bye. Goodbye forever. Kind of, kind of learning. <laughs> my favorite learning line from how Tombstone. <laughs> kind of learning how hard the sign off is. It is. It Channeling is. Powers Booth there. Well, why? Because we don't need to clap. I'm there. Oh my god. Don't we? Is this I'm your there. is this your new bit where secretly you resent time dot is? I don't resent it. I mean, it's it's fun. You get to you get to do a little clap. We don't Bro. need it. All right. <laughs> Here we go. I don't trust you. Let's go on 12. I mean, we really don't. <laughs> okay. Well, we can talk about that later. Yeah. Let's yeah. Just do the podcast. Okay. This is weird. Love. hate this. Love this. Whatever. You know, the first time we do it without time, that is, though, and somebody that's what I'm saying that the podcast falls mm-hmm. out of sync. Mm-hmm. I'm driving mm-hmm. to your house. Sure. <laughs> you know, there's a human right. element to time that is that it's not, you know, like flawless. <laughs> no, people can read a clock. People are, we are we are millisecond accurate on that uh, clap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Natalie's even a little too early. A little too on well, it. A little too on it. <laughs> Natalie tries to win time that is. <laughs> Oh, okay.
Oh, I just heard someone shout outside my apartment. It was a good energy to bring into the podcast. I Great. heard a wretch. Here, here, here we go. I guess we're gonna, um, you know, we'll go through what, what, what other things like what our histories with the Alien franchise is, is before then just kind of you know yeah. talking about the film itself. Mm-hmm. I guess. Have some and maybe we'll like see, I don't know. Kind of we'll, we'll, I haven't seen it when it came out, so I'm curious if like who this is new for versus yeah, yeah. yeah kind of, yeah, kind of. We will, we will, we will help you. Just you do the opening, and I mean, I'm just, I'm oh. just deadly, deadly oh, serious. Like they didn't tra- already. We don't want to pull the we're, no, we're stop it. No, no, stop it. No, no, no we're not in the podcast. No, I have, a, I have a no, thing. no. But I, I just, I just was like, open it. Like that's the part of the fun of the awkwardness. Like, yeah, Rob and I will, we will all help you. Like with the transition stuff. So don't overly. Okay. Sometimes in the host chair, it can be very stressful. You're like trying to say something, picking up on someone, stopping something, transitioning. Yeah. We will help. We will help you there. Okay. Cool. All right. Ready. Do you want my script, Kata? Let's do it. Stop. No, I I have one. No, you I feel it. like yeah, Kata's right, got go. one. He looked like he was ready to read off something. <laughs> okay. Hit us, darling. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.